Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing this morning? Come. All right. Did you guys have a good July 4th? Nobody got blown up, so that's good. I was uh, in, we were in Ohio. We missed this past week. We were in Ohio for vacation uh, with my family. My parents live near Dayton, and uh, I heard that things last week went really good, and we had a great vacation. It was one of those vacations a few of you have asked. Sometimes you come back from your vacation and needing another vacation. Well, this one was actually one of those vacations where we, it, we kept it pretty simple. We stayed at my parents, we ate, then we laid by the pool, then we ate, then we laid by the pool, and we just repeated that about maybe 25 times in the week, and so uh, we had a really good time. Last week, last Sunday, I actually went to a church that set up in a school similar to us, and so that was good to be on the other side of it and just kind of see how they do things and learn from them, and so uh, we had a really good week, but we are really glad to be back. Uh, today, as you know, if, you're, if you've been here a little while or, or if you're new, uh, every single month we do a thing called Growth Track. And Growth Track is a way, if you're here and you say, you know what, I want to get connected here at City Walk. I want to learn how to grow in my faith. I want to learn how God has uniquely gifted me. And I kind of want to get involved. And we have this thing called Growth Track. And it's four weeks. It starts 15 minutes after the service over in one of the classrooms in the kids' area. And so today we start a brand new cycle of growth track. And so if you have not had a chance to go through, or maybe you've taken a few of the classes but missed week one, today we're going to start that uh, 15 minutes after the service. And we would love to have you uh, involved. We're there for about 20, 30 minutes because I know people get hangry and want to go eat, and they're, you know, want to get to the restaurant before the Presbyterians do and all the other churches that let out. So I get it, so we keep it short and simple, because I got to get to in and out. That's kind of our family tradition on Sunday afternoons, too. So, But we're, we're glad to be back and just excited to connect with many of you uh, this week. This Over the past few uh, weeks, and you, you know this if you've been here, we've been in a series, and Sharice mentioned it, called Age of Heroes. And uh, what we've done over the past six weeks is we've begun to kind of look at some of the different people, and yeah, you can't do an exhaustive study, but you look at some of the different people that whether you grew up in church or not, you may have heard of some of these people that are in the Bible. We looked at people like last week, Akeem talked about David. Uh, We looked at a guy by the name of Abraham, a guy by the name of Hosea, a lady named Hannah, and we just began to look at how God used very ordinary people, people that if you were to put them up against other people, you'd look at them and think, man, there's nothing really special about them, but God used them in tremendous ways, and we now learn from their life, from their mistakes, from their, their, their victories, and how God used them. And so we, we've been in the midst of that series, and today, as we close the series, we're going to be looking at a young man by the name of Joseph. 
And Joseph was a young man that, man, he, he grew up in a family that, a lot, like a lot of the Old Testament characters, man, his family would have made a really good reality TV show. It would have fit in, in the, it, they could have made a soap opera about his family. Uh, his family was a lot of dysfunction in his family that you'll see. But yet this young man, who was not a perfect young man, who was a little bit cocky and, and made some mistakes, this young man was a young man that as we look back at his life, we see that he was a faithful young man. And in the midst of the ups and downs of life, and he had some tremendous ups and some really big downs in his life, he remained faithful. And when we talk about the word faithful or faithfulness, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about this idea of a long obedience in the same direction. When someone is faithful and we look like at Joseph's life today, we're going to see a young man who had a long obedience and a long obedience in the same direction. He stayed faithful in the midst of some tremendous ups and downs. In our society today, and I wrote this in, in, in my notes, we, we are, are thankful for people that are faithful, and we admire people that are faithful, but we don't always want to be as faithful as other people. For instance, I'm excited that your diet's going well. I'm excited that you're not eating dessert. I'm excited that you're staying with your plan and you're being faithful and I admire that, but a life without ice cream to me sounds crazy. And so you, you look at people's lives and you think, man, man I, we appreciate faithfulness and we acknowledge faithfulness, but we don't always want to be that person. And simply put, we live in a world where circumstances determine commitment level. And here's what I mean. Instead of saying, man, I'm going to be obedient and faithful in this one direction no matter the circumstances, we live in a society where the circumstances dictate for us, you know what, hey, I'm going in this direction and I'm committed to something, but man, if the circumstances kind of don't go in my favor, I may step away. Faithfulness is not determined by commitment, but more by convenience. And so in the, with this thought in mind, we look at this young man, Joseph, who was the son of Jacob. He was one of 12 sons born to four different ladies. You can already see how the dysfunction. He, he was, uh, Abraham was his great-grandfather. He, he was a guy that, man, he was the youngest. His dad loved him a lot. In fact, you'll see, was actually showed him favoritism. And in his life, in the midst of this young man's ups and downs, you're going to see a thread that we're going to talk about here in a second that has to do with faithfulness. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 37, or you can look at the app, as we kind of enter the story of this young man and the dysfunctional family that he came from. It says this, now Israel, or another word for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph were introduced to him. He's 17 years old. Uh, he's a young man who, like I said, is, is young in, in his family. He has a lot of brothers. And his dad, I don't know, like he didn't take a parenting class or what happened, but, but he favored Joseph and he didn't even try to hide it. 
You think, hey, you probably have a kid that you like more than the other kid, but you're not going to tell all the kids which one you like better. He didn't understand that. He didn't read that in the parenting book. And so instead of kind of keeping it to himself, he made a special robe for, for Joseph just to really flaunt the fact that, man, this is my favorite son. And so you can imagine that this didn't really go well for him and his family and his brothers weren't big fans of Joseph. But to make matters worse, Joseph was a dreamer, he was a little cocky, and some of his dreams uh, were, were not things that his brothers would be real happy about, and Joseph had no trouble sharing that with his brothers. And so if you follow along in Genesis 37 verse 5, it says this, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers... See, Joseph had the the same people skills his dad had. Uh, When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Again, Joseph, if you had the dream, don't share it with your brothers. But again, he had the coat that looked really good. He was daddy's favorite, so he he didn't have any problem saying, hey guys, let me tell you about my dream last night. Yeah, all of you guys bowed down to me. How about that? And obviously, just this is like throwing gasoline on a fire that's already burning pretty hot. So after Joseph told this to his brothers, you can imagine that the jealousy and hatred did not go down. It actually got worse. And it reached a boiling point when Jacob's kind of daddy sent Joseph to check on his brothers. His brothers were out working. Joseph was probably in, you know, playing video games and eating milkshakes and stuff because he was daddy's favorite. The brothers are out working and, and daddy comes to Joseph and says, hey, I need you to go check up on the boys. Make sure they're working hard. Make sure they're doing all right. And so... That's exactly what Joseph did, and this is when it reached a boiling point because daddy wasn't around. And so look at at Genesis 37 as Joseph's really godly brothers see their brother that they love so much that doesn't annoy him at all coming their way. It says this, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. And say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness and don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. I'm sure they enjoyed doing that. The ornate robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, which was probably disappointing to them. There was no water in it. So Joseph's brothers, they see him coming. And they don't even pretend to like him. They just say, let's kill this kid. Uh, here he comes, let's kill him, we'll, we'll, we'll tell daddy that a ferocious animal ate him, It'll just he'll, the problem goes away, that is great, and that, so that's, that was the plan. And, and one of the brothers, Reuben, says, eh, that's kind of messy, let's not do that. 
Let's, and he kind of had a plan himself. And so, so Joseph gets there, and instead of killing him, they listen to Reuben. They rough him up a little bit. They rip that robe off that they hate so much, and they throw him in this cistern. And, and they kind of throw him in this cistern as a way, like a, a holding pattern while they decide what they're going to do with him. Like, you got a lot of them that say, let's just kill the kid and be done with it. We'll just kill him and tell God he died, and that'll be great. But then you got Reuben. He's, got, he's kind of like the, the, the nice brother, I guess, or he has a heart somewhere in there. And he says, yeah, we got to do something. Dad probably won't be happy. And so they're debating. And then all of a sudden, they look up and they see some merchants coming that are headed to Egypt. And they think, you know what? We could make a buck out of this. And so they decide instead of killing their brother, they decide to sell him. And so it says this in verse 28, it says, So when the Midianite merchants came by his brothers, pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Joseph is 17 years old. I mean, he is a little cocky. He's, he's not doesn't have the greatest people skills at this point. But at the end of the day, his brothers hate him so much that instead of killing him, they hate him so much, instead of putting him out of his misery, they're going to sell him to, to some people that are going to take him to Egypt, which might as well have been the moon back then, to never see him again. And Joseph, this 17-year-old, watches as his brothers sell him for 20 shekels of silver, and he's off to Egypt to never be heard of again. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He was abandoned. He was hated. His brothers, instead of murdering him, thought it would be better to sell him. And for Joseph, a 17-year-old, the problems were just getting started in his life. You think, man, that's pretty bad. When your brothers, your family abandon you, they sell you to these people, they don't even know, they don't know what these people are going to do with you, they hate you that much, you're 17, you're abandoned, but yet over the next 13 years of Joseph's life, he would be betrayed more, he would be abandoned more, he would be imprisoned, he would, he would look like a hopeless situation, and in the midst of all the hopelessness, in the midst of all the abandonment... Over the next 13 years, Joseph's life would scream this statement. Confident God is with me and has a plan, I will seek to be faithful. 17 years old, on his way to Egypt, the next 13 years of his life were going to be a wreck. And yet this young man, his life screamed, this idea that he's confident that God is with him and has a plan and he would seek to be faithful in the midst of it. And here's what we're going to see over the next few minutes. Faithfulness didn't always pay off the way Joseph thought it would. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate to, to times in your life where, man, you have been faithful to God. You have been doing all the right things. You've been putting yourselves in, in the right places. You've been doing everything you knew to do, and the rug just continues to get pulled out from under you. 
That was going to be Joseph's life for the next 13 years. But yet in the midst of all the rugs being pulled out from under him, in the midst of all the abandonment, in the midst of all the pain, this young man made a decision that God was with him. God had a plan and he would be faithful. And so when he gets to Egypt, this man by the name of Potiphar buys him. Potiphar was a guy who worked for Pharaoh. He was the captain of the guard. And, and, and Joseph begins to work for Potiphar. And, and just as he's starting to work for Potiphar, some pieces of his life start to seem to be getting put back together before the rug gets pulled out from under him again. Follow along with me. Genesis 39 verse 2. It says this. He's now, he's now in the... He's working for Potiphar, and it says this in verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Joseph now, still a teenager, he, he's living in Potiphar's house. He, he's kind of pulling himself up, just trying to make sense of his life. And, and in the midst of all the craziness, God begins to bless every single thing that Joseph touches. And Potiphar's not an idiot. He sees that, man, everything this kid touches turns to gold. And so Potiphar, as he sees his household and, and his finances and everything that Joseph was involved in, as he begins to see it all prosper, he says, hey, I'm putting this kid in charge of everything. So Joseph becomes basically the chief of staff in charge of everything that Potiphar had. Totally trusted. And as Joseph, at this point, is probably feeling like, okay, man, this, I, this wasn't my plan, but man, things are starting to go well for me. Life's getting better. In the midst of all this going on, Potiphar was noticing Joseph's work and his prosperity, but Potiphar's wife was also noticing Joseph. She began to proposition Joseph on a regular basis to sleep with her. And it's, and it's this lady that we know as Potiphar's wife that in the midst of things starting to go good for Joseph falsely accuses him, which leads him to the rug being pulled out from under him again. Look at verse 9. It says this. As Joseph's talking to Potiphar's wife, who again, literally daily is propositioning him. It says this. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph, this young man who is, man, life's starting to go well. This lady continues to proposition him. He, he, he's, man, be, making all the right choices. And he's turning down her, everything that she's trying to get him to do. He's telling him, no, and I can't sin against God in this way. And he's being very honorable and having integrity. 
And then one day this lady comes to him and, and, and finds him all by himself. And again, just like the other days, propositions him. And he says, no, she literally grabs his robe. He runs out of the house. And this lady screams and falsely accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. And so you can imagine this didn't make Potiphar very happy. And so Joseph, falsely accused, has the rug pulled out from under him again and is thrown in prison for something he never did. See, he'd been abandoned by his family. He'd been falsely accused. He'd been thrown in prison to just rot. Nobody cared about him. His family wasn't going to come save him. His dad didn't even know he was alive. He's in this prison, falsely accused. No one cares about him. At that point, maybe you, maybe me, we probably would have said, I'm done. Man, I I tried to be faithful. I tried to, man, all the craziness that was going on in my life, I, I tried to continue to obey God, and this is how it happens. But yet Joseph, confident God is with me and has a plan, I will seek to be faithful. So he's sitting in prison with no hope to get out. And it says this in in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 39. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he made responsible made him responsible for all that was done there the warden paid no attention to anything under joseph's care because the lord was with joseph and gave him success in whatever he did joseph again sitting in prison no hope for any change continues to say, you know what, in the midst of all the craziness, in the midst of the rug being pulled out from under me over and over again, I'm going to be faithful. And the Bible says that the Lord was with him and that he gave him favor. And again, everything Joseph touched turned to gold. And the warden of the prison, he, he noticed. Man, this prisoner, Joseph, I think Potiphar dropped him off here. Man, and this kid, he's pretty sharp. And so before you know it, the warden basically, man, he starts staying home from work. And he literally just puts everything under Joseph's care, doesn't ask any questions. He trusts Joseph. I mean, everything Joseph touches gets better. And so why not let the kid run the whole place? And so that's what he does. And so you have this this young man who's now in in his 20s. He's man been abandoned by his family. He's sitting in prison, falsely accused, no hope for getting out. And yet the Lord is with him and Joseph continues to be faithful. And everything he touches prospers. And it's while he's there in prison that he notices there's a couple. And, and it's specifically in this prison, this is a prison for a lot of the people that used to work for the king or work for people that worked for the king. So this wasn't just, this was a different type of prison. And so Joseph, one day he came up on uh, the cupbearer for the king and also the baker. And so for whatever reason, the, the king had gotten mad at his cupbearer. And the cupbearer was somebody that, I mean, what kind of job would this be? You're, you're the guy that tastes all the food 
and, and drinks all the drinks before the king gets it to make sure it's not poisonous. So literally your job is to eat the king's food and drink the king's drink. So that, I mean, that's a pretty good job. So the cupbearer, I don't know if he's spitting the king's drink at one point or something, but he, the king got mad at him. So the cupbearer is sitting in prison. And the baker, I don't know if he made chocolate when he was supposed to make vanilla or what happened, but the king got mad at the baker. So the baker and the cupbearer, sounds like a nursery rhyme, are sitting in prison. And Joseph comes up to them and he notices that they're very distraught. And so he says to him, he says, hey, man, guys, I can tell something's wrong. What's going on? And both of them say, you know what, man, we had this crazy dream last night. We had these crazy dreams, and we're not sure what they mean, and so we're kind of, you know, kind of, it's messing with our head, and we just don't know what to do with these dreams. And, and Joseph says, you know what? Inter- the interpretations of dreams belongs to God. So, man, God could kind of give you a, a clue on what, what these dreams meant. So just tell me what your dreams, you know, just give me a shot. And so, so the cupbearer says, all right, here's my dream. There was a vine, it had three branches. I took the grapes on the branches, I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. You're like, that dream's causing you a lot of issues? It doesn't sound like a real scary dream. What's, I mean, but, but this dream was just rocking the cupbearer's world. And so, hey, Joseph said, oh, that's easy. Basically, what your dream means is in three days, you're going to get released and you're going to be working for the king again. Oh, all right, well, then, man, that's good. And so the cupbearer's happy. So the baker, he says, oh, man, that, I hear what the, that, that dream was. Hey, let me tell you my dream so you can kind of give me some good news too. And so the cupbearer, after he's kind of heard his dream, the baker says, all right, here's my dream. I had three baskets of bread on my head. And these birds came and they kind of were eating the bread out of the baskets. Oh, okay, that's easy too. Uh, in three days, you're going to get released too, but you're actually going to get executed. It's like, I wish I wouldn't have told you that. But, but, and guess what happened? Exactly what Joseph said would happen, happened. Three days later, cupbearer gets released. He's put back into the, kind of the king's workforce. He's working for the king again. And the baker man, he also gets released. And he is executed just the way Joseph said. And about the time the, the cupbearer, before the cupbearer left the jail, Joseph says, hey, when you get back with the king, remember your boy Joseph. Remember, man, I'm the guy that kind of helped you out, told you the dream, so man, hook me up a little bit. And so, man, Joseph, the, as the cupbearer gets released, man, there's a little bit of hope in this guy's heart that, man, maybe this, is, this guy works for the king, maybe this is my ticket out. But it says this in, in Genesis 39, verse 23, it says this, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Once again, faithfulness doesn't pay off. Once again, Joseph was forgotten. Once again, he was abandoned. From the the world's perspective, he was left hopeless. Nothing was going to change. He had literally no ability to fix it. Days, weeks, months passed, and nothing. Yet Joseph was marked by this statement. God is with me and has a plan. I will seek to be faithful. Two years passed, and Pharaoh, 
the most powerful man in the nation and in the world, has a dream. And, and he has some crazy dreams too. And, and in the midst of having these crazy dreams, Pharaoh doesn't have an option, doesn't, doesn't have anybody to help him. And so as you follow along in the story in Genesis 41, you see a door open for Joseph. Look at Genesis 41 verse 1. It says, when two full years had passed, probably the longest two years of Joseph's life, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the Nile River there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. That was a crazy dream. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. So Pharaoh's having dreams about cows eating cows, about corn eating corn, and he wakes up and he's troubled. He's troubled, and, and, and he has, man, he has all these wise men around him. He has all the smartest people in the country. He calls them in, and he says, hey, guys, let me tell you about this dream. Actually, I had two dreams. I need some help. I need somebody to tell me what these dreams mean. And none of his wise men, none of his counselors could help him. And then all of a sudden, the cupbearer says, oh, yeah. There's this kid, I don't even know if he's still around, but I, I, I remember this kid, I think his name was Joseph, and he was in prison with me, and I actually had a dream, and he was able to interpret my dream, and the baker had a dream, and he was able to tell him what that meant, and what he said happened exactly. And so I don't, I don't know if he's still there, but can, I mean, you may want to go kind of check him out, maybe he can help you. And so Joseph, man, he's sitting in prison. He, he, I don't know if he's taken a shower in the years. He's a mess, not leaving. All of a sudden, it says this in verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Imagine this. Imagine, I mean, you are, you are in prison. You've been eating the same stuff for years. It, you have no hope of getting out. and then all I mean, you, you've had people come to the door of the prison and people come and go and you've seen that. But man, you know you're never leaving. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes to the door and says, hey, is there a guy named Joseph in here? And Joseph, I mean, probably didn't even hear it the first time. Now, Joseph, yeah, yeah, that's me. Hey, you, you need to come out here. We need to take you to Pharaoh. And he's so nasty and hasn't shaved. And before, they're like, before we take you, though, we got to clean you up. And so they, they take him to like the bippity-boppity-boo boutique that they have at Disneyland. And, but this one's for guys and not for girls. And they man, clean him up. They shave him, get him all fixed up, give him some clean clothes. They take him before Pharaoh. And then verse 15 says this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. 
But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph says, I I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And so Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams, and Joseph clearly articulates that what the the dreams of Pharaoh were all about was that there was going to be seven years of abundance where food was going to come in and the crops were going to be bumper crops. It was going to be a great seven years. But after that seven years, there was going to be a famine on the, on the earth that, had, I mean, they had not experienced. That was going to be terrible famine where crops would be decimated. People would be hungry. And, and, and he's telling Pharaoh this. And then he says, Pharaoh, here's what you need to do. You, you need to find somebody that's wise, that has a good plan, that's going to be able to use those seven years of abundance to store up food so when the seven years that aren't going good and the, the famine comes, that your country is prepared. And as Joseph's kind of explaining this plan before Pharaoh, Pharaoh says this, he says, can we find anyone like This man, one in whom is the Spirit of God. Joseph is now 30 years old. And as Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, hears Joseph interpret his dreams and he hears this this plan that this young man he's never met put put together. There's something about Joseph that catches his, his eye. There's something inside Joseph that he's never seen that all the wise men in his country don't have. And he says, is is there anybody like this young man who the Spirit of God, who I don't even believe in this Spirit of God, but I see it in this young man. Is there anyone like him? And Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, the plan you just laid out, I need you to execute for our country. And Pharaoh, or Joseph goes from literally just hours before in the prison to now he becomes the second most powerful man in the country, second only to Pharaoh. And he is given all the authority, he's given everything he needs to execute this plan he's laid out to literally save the world. And Joseph, just like he was faithful in Potiphar's house, Just like he was faithful in the prison and how God had his hand on him the whole journey. Now he's second in command of the the, the country. God has his hand on Joseph and Joseph's plan works so well. So much food begins to come in that they literally stop counting. Joseph's plan works so well. They store up so much food that they literally just stop keeping track. There's so much of it. And, and Joseph's plan worked so well that he, he literally, when the famine struck, saved the country and, by the way, made his boss a lot of money in the process. So Pharaoh was happy. So again, in 13 years, look how the story has played out. Now this young man who's now in his 40s, he he's, was 30 when he became second in command. He's worked this plan. He's, he, they're now into the seven years of famine. They're in the midst of that. Things are going well for Joseph. But then one day as he's 
doing his duties and as he is taking care of the country and as he's selling food to the people that are coming because of the famine, he looks up and he sees a group of familiar faces coming. He sees a group of people that he knew very well several years ago. He sees a group of people coming that he loves dearly. He sees his brothers. See, his brothers had no clue the pain they had caused him. They had no clue how his journey had, had weaved in all the tough times Joseph had. And they were coming now because in their area the famine had struck so bad that they had nothing left. And so Jacob had sent the brothers to Egypt to get food so that their family could survive. And Joseph looks up and he sees these brothers coming and he had to make a decision. Because now he held all the cards. He, he was in charge now. He had power to do whatever he wanted to do. What would he do? Back to the statement. Confident God is with me and has a plan. I will seek to be faithful. Well, Joseph, you've got all the cards in your hand now. You don't have to be faithful. You don't have to be forgiving. You don't have to be loving. You're in charge that the coin is turned over, Joseph. It's, it's all yours now. But in the midst of all the power, all the money, all the influence, what was inside of Joseph never changed because he was confident that God was with him and that God had a plan and he would be faithful. And what's funny is his brothers didn't even recognize him. I mean, it had been a couple decades since they had seen him. He had changed a lot. They didn't even recognize him. And so Joseph, man, he had a little fun with his brothers, I'll be honest. He, he gave them some tests and he put them through some, made them jump through some hoops to get food. And he sent them back to their dad and then had them come back. He did, did a few things with them. But, but then after a couple tests that he put his brothers through, Joseph, in one of the most emotion-filled passages of Scripture, reveals his identity and intentions to his brother. Look at Genesis 45. It says this, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants and cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. How did this young man have the perspective he had after all he had been through? 
And I think here's what it comes down to. In the end, Joseph's story was not about Joseph. It was about God. Let me read that again. Because this is, this is how Joseph could have all the ups and downs in his life, have all the rugs pulled out from under him, go through all the hopelessness, all the turmoil, all the abandonment, and continue to be faithful. Because in the end, Joseph's story wasn't about Joseph, it was about God. If Joseph was the center of the story, he may never have forgiven his brothers. If, if this thing was all about Joseph, he would have never forgiven his brothers. He would have never done all the things he did. In fact, what he did is he, he brought his brothers and their families to Egypt. He took care of them for the rest of his life. And the reason he did that was because the story was never all about him. But it was about God. See, when my story becomes all about me, it loses its power. If, if this had been all about Joseph... This, the, the power that we see and the, how in the world is he able to say that and do that with all that's happened to him. If it was all about him, this would have never happened. The power would be gone. See, when my story becomes all about me, it loses its power. When my story becomes all about me, my circumstances just determine my commitment level. When the story's all about us, when it gets hard, we step out. You see, some of you, you're, you're here and you say, Chris, uh, let, let me tell you about my first marriage. Let me tell you about, and, and you, you see that in your life. You see that, man, when, when, when in your life it was all about you and you had a season where maybe you said, man, Chris, it was. I remember that time before I had a relationship with Jesus where my whole life was about me. And when it got hard, I stepped out from under commitments. Because when my story's all about me, I'm not a very loving person. I'm a very selfish person. And I'm all about what's good for me. And for Joseph, because his story was all about God and not about him, it allowed him to look at his brothers, these men who had literally sold him at the age of 17, could care less what had happened to him, it allowed him to look with literally tears in his eyes and tell his brothers, don't be upset with yourself. What you, what you did was all part of God's plan and God sent me here, you didn't, and he sent me here to save you and save the world. See, at the end of the day, our story like Joseph is all about God. See, God loved the world so much He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. Jesus, another great example of someone who His story was not all about Him because if it was all about Him, He would have never left the glories of heaven to come to earth, live on this earth, live a sinless life, and then allow people to kill Him who He loved and was dying for. But if you look throughout the New Testament, many times in the New Testament, you, you see Jesus point to his Father's plan, his Father's plan. He wants to bring glory to his Father. Joseph was a great example of the same thing. And so as we close this series, 
As we, we close this, this series, as we've looked at a few of the heroes in Scripture, not perfect people, not people that had it all together, not people that, that everything went right for, but people who God used in extraordinary ways despite the circumstances. It brings us to close with Joseph, this young man who was confident God was with him and had a plan and sought to be faithful. And so here's my question. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or whether you're investigating faith, imagine the ramifications on your life if you believed what Joseph believed. Imagine the ramifications on your life if you believed and you were confident that God was with you and had a plan and decided, I'm going to be faithful no matter the circumstances. I'm going to stick to it. See, the circumstances might not be great, but because the story is about God and not about us, we're, we're able to stand confident and be obedient in the same direction for a long time. How would that affect the people you need to forgive. See, if the story is all about me, then if you wrong me, why should I forgive you? And some of you, maybe there's some people in your life that you've been carrying around anger and bitterness, and honestly, they did so wrong, they hurt you so deeply, but man, if the story is about God and not about you, it'll allow you to say, you know what, God, as much as I'm hurt, as much as I feel abandoned, because the story's about you and not about me, I seek to be faithful and I seek to forgive the way you forgave. I seek to love the way you loved because this is about you, not about me. Instead of running from challenges or blaming our life on well, 25 years ago this happened to me, or 40 years ago this person did this to me, so that's why I'm the way I am. I get it. Is there anybody in here that doesn't have like a jacked up past, where you, where you look back at your past and you're like, yeah, uh, my whole family was in counseling for stuff that happened to me when I was 13. You, I was just with my brothers last week. All of us were in counseling. But, and, and some of you, if, if we sat around and told stories, your story trumps my story all day long. And if this was all about us, then we could say, you know what? Because of the jacked up stuff that happened to me when I was a kid, I'm going to live my life the way I want to. But because this has never been about us, but it's always been about God and God making us more like His Son. Despite the craziness of our past, God can redeem it to do amazing things and take the craziness and the junk in our life just like he did Joseph and make it beautiful. And that's what Jesus died for. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we close up our series. Maybe you're here this morning and, and if you're honest, you say, you know what, Chris? Man, I do. I have. I got a jacked up past. I've had some things happen to me. Maybe it, maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe it was recently. And you say, Chris, man, I, I, if I'm honest, I'm tempted to feel sorry for myself. And, and maybe you even have people in your life that encourage you to feel sorry for yourself. And if Joseph was here today, he would have all the reasons in the world to be bitter to have unforgiveness 
to live a crazy life that was just all about himself. Man, he had had so much done to him. But yet, he knew the story was about God and not about him. And so, in the midst of the craziness, he knew God was with him and he sought to be faithful. Would you just, in the quietness of this room, just between you and God, just in your heart, would you just ask God to God help me? I, I need you, God, in my own power, in my own flesh. Man, I am always going to make it about me. But God, I know this story is a lot bigger than me. It's about you. It's about your plan. And God, I just want to be faithful. I want to be faithful and I want to become more like your son because I know that's what you want from me. So God, if that means there's some people I need to forgive, God, if that means there's some, some things I need to change in my life, if that, Lord, there's some attitudes in my heart that, that, that I've allowed to get into my heart because I've made it all about me, God, I pray that you would help me change those by the power of your spirit and word. Would you just talk to God? Lord, I pray for each of us as we seek to, if we're followers of you, we seek to obey you. But Lord, every single one of us left to ourselves will make it all about us. And God, I pray for your strength, for your perspective, for your power to make this not about us, but about you about your will, about your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.